Oh God, you are such a strange God because you choose such strange people to use, which gives us strange lot, a deep hope that you can even use us like you used John the Baptist. Bring clarity to us now through your words so that we might go from here transformed for your glory, bearing fruit worthy of you. Amen. I invite you to be seated this morning. I am glad this second Sunday of Advent. Do you know why? I knew you'd think that. No. Jennifer's back. Woo! Glad to have you back. Believe you me. Well, it is the second Sunday of Advent, which means we're halfway through the time-sucking vortex which has become our consumer pre-Christmas season. As time, it seems to disappear and we end up just rushing and rushing and rushing. It's also the time of year where the church is most prone to the danger of sentimentalism, of reducing the faith to a Hallmark card, of reducing the faith to fluffy lambs, fluttering angel wings, and fuzzy feelings, which is why I'm grateful this morning for the most startling of Advent figures, John the Baptist. He is the unlikely gatekeeper of the high drama of the Nativity. He is the concierge of our Christmas celebrations, the disheveled custodian of the Incarnation. There is no figure in Advent more capable of disrupting our complacent sentimentality than John the Baptist as he strolls onto the scene in Matthew's Gospel. Imagine with me this morning this prophet wandering around, preaching, wrapped up in camel's hair for clothing, locusts and honey all stuck up in his unkempt beard, a wildness for mercy, a steeled, almost overwrought gaze as he stares down the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for his baptism of repentance out in the Judean wilderness, you brood of vipers. How's that for a call to worship? Whew! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit worthy of repentance? If you were looking for a soft, serene and gentle entry to the season, this is not it. J.B., John the Baptist, is not your guy. But here we have him. Repent. Bear fruit. The Lord is coming. It's important that this is all happening out in the wilderness. Biblically, that's where revelation happens. It's also where pretensions, especially the kind that we can build up around this time of year, are not easy to hold on to. They're not easy to keep in the wilderness. Because the wilderness is a great equalizer, where power and status don't hold and where self-sufficiency is revealed to be the mirage that it is. 
This wild place is a place of vulnerability, of weakness, and of risk. In the wilderness, the idea that we can help ourselves out of this mess is quickly dismantled for us. It's a vapor. The wilderness is the perfect place to recognize that we can't help ourselves, that our lives depend upon watching and waiting for the God of Israel to rescue, to redeem, and to release. But it's not just that the wilderness is a place where we recognize our need for God. It's also the place where the prophet calls for repentance. The wilderness is the place for a clear-eyed sobriety of who we really are. So let's call a spade a spade this morning. John the Baptist makes us uncomfortable. He makes me uncomfortable with all of this talk of sin, repentance, and judgment. They're strong biblical words, and they should make us shift a little bit. But that's okay, because we're not getting to the manger unless we go through John, even if he makes us squirm a bit in our pews. I think our awkwardness and our discomfiture around sin, repentance, and judgment is owed to the reality that we often misconstrue these biblically. We just misunderstand them. And so we associate them with feelings of shame and guilt and condemnation. Many of us distrust this whole sin and judgment thing because we recognize how easy it is to be used to manipulate and to justify agendas. And yet, here stands J.B., and he's all about repentance. So let's go through rather than around. And perhaps if we stay with him this morning, we might find some comfort that more is at stake than merely, I make mistakes sometimes, or I've, I've got a few issues, I know. Growing up, I was taught that Sin is a moral category, that it was breaking God's law or missing the mark like an arrow misses its target. It was about committing immoral acts, making moral mistakes. Now, that's not wrong per se. Those descriptions are incomplete, and they are wrong in their incompleteness because they don't go far enough or deep enough. And if we actually just leave it there, sin becomes weaponized in the church, as it often does. But sin, biblically, at its heart, is simply the refusal to become fully human. It's anything that interferes with the opening of our whole selves to God. It's estrangement, it's disconnection, it's disharmony. As one commentator puts it, it's the sludge that slows us down. 
It's apathy. It's carelessness. It's a frightened resistance to an engaged life. It's the opposite of creativity, the opposite of abundance, the opposite of flourishing. Sin is a walking death. And it's easier to spot, name, and confess a walking death in the wilderness than anywhere else. So it's important that this is in the wilderness. And this walking death is what Jesus comes to judge. Again, we tend to take talk of judgment starkly and and even offensively. But biblically, to judge something is to see it clearly, to know it as it truly is. A just judge is clear-eyed, good, not a punitive, vindictive force. John the Baptist, making the way for this Jesus who is coming, this Messiah who is coming and really sees us clearly. He knows the truth about us. He knows us fundamentally. It is in his hand that as instrument of farming, the winnowing fork is a tool of love, patiently wielded by the one who discerns in each of us rich harvests, still hidden by the chaff on us that needs to be burned away. In Jesus, God clears us, clarifies us, clarifies who we really are before God. And God does this in Jesus, not as one standing over us in retributive judgment, but as one participating, incarnating, tenting, tabernacling among us, showing us what a human life lived fully alive looks like. That is the judgment of God. Showing us what a life separate from all that's destructive, from all that harms, from all that makes us less than fully human, less than fully alive looks like. And so it's in Jesus that we see our true home. We see that we are in him good, beautiful, worthy, the very image of God. Behold the Lamb of God, John the Baptist will announce. He takes away the sin of the world. Ecce homo, behold the man Pilate will later declare. Behold the man. Jesus is not only what God looks like. He is the true human as St. Irenaeus would later call him, the firstborn of creation. And as St. Irenaeus says, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. This Jesus is the glory of God, fully alive for you and for me. This is how Jesus judges. This is the clarity he brings to bear upon us, to show us who we are in him.
alive with life in its full abundance. So people of God, be glad this morning, not just because it's my birthday, but because God delights in you. He gives you joy for sadness, turns your darkness to light, so be strong in hope, for your God has come to save. You are God's children. This is the time of the adventing of God, the adventing of God among us, the adventing of God with us, the advent of Jesus Christ. May you know yourselves fully alive in Him as God's beloved, and may you go from here and bear fruit worthy of Him. Thanks be to God. Amen.